This morning we're going to uh, hop into a new role that Jesus gives us, a new role that Jesus expands from the Old Testament. Um, and so, I would, because of the baby dedication, we want to jump right in to what we're talking about today. Uh, so Aaron last week told you about three goals for this series, and those goals were and are to increase your confidence and awe of God's redemptive plan, to increase your appreciation of the coming of the Son of God, and to increase your expectation regarding Christ and His purpose. And so last week we talked about God's kingdom and Jesus being a king in that kingdom. But if you read through the Gospels, what you'll see is Jesus actually refusing to take a throne. Just consistently says, no, I'm not going to be a king in the way that you think I'm going to be a king. So I'll give you three examples of Jesus rejecting his kingship on the earth. One was with Peter, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus asked, who am I? And Peter says, you are, you're the Messiah. You're the, you're, the, you're the Christ, the one that's come to save us. He says, yeah, you only know that by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I'm, I'm actually going to die. And Peter says, no, 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 you can't do that. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. You don't, you're not looking towards heavenly things. You're focused on earthly realities. And then in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people miraculously. And right after that, they say, you're a prophet. We need to make you a king. And Jesus just kind of slinks away into the crowd thinking, these guys are going to try to forcefully put me on a throne that I don't want. And then if you remember from Jesus' temptation in the uh, wilderness by Satan, Satan takes him up to a high place and says, look at all of this. Look at all of these kingdoms. They can all be yours if you will just bow down before me. And Jesus says, no way. I'm not doing that. Why? It's because if Jesus becomes a king in the way that those three categories of people think about him as king, he misses out on another role that is incredibly important for us. He misses out on the role of becoming an indestructible priest. An indestructible priest. He couldn't have it both ways. You can't be an earthly king and an indestructible priest. And that's what, that's what I'm after today is... Why does he need to become an indestructible priest for us? So I'm going to read you a passage, Hebrews chapter 5. And from this passage, I'm going to pull out three roles of what a priest is and does. Okay? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, says... For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. 
Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the other people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but one when called by God, just as Aaron has. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. It's three things. Three things that every priest through the Old Testament was required to or should have done. What are those three things? He's advocating for us. He is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. He's atoning for us. He's making sacrifices before God in order to absolve us of our sins. And then he's assuring us. Verse 2 says that he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward because he also is weak. So, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go through three different phases of what it looked like to be a priest in the Bible. We're going to ask the question, how does Jesus expand the role of the high priest? How does Jesus expand the role of the high priest? First, we're going to look at the Old Testament, what it meant to be a priest there. Then we're going to look at Jesus in the Gospels. And then we're going to look at the indestructible, eternal priest. So how does Jesus shape the role? First, we have to define what does it look like to be a priest in the Old Testament? Researching this, I was like, when, when did the priesthood start? When, when was the first priest available to, to human uh, mankind in Scripture? Some of you might say um, somewhere in the beginning. Here's where I find it. The story of Cain and Abel. Let me read you this passage. Genesis 4, 3 through 7 says, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord has regard for Abel and his offerings, but Cain for, for Cain and his offerings he had no regard. Does that seem kind of unfair? Who thinks that's unfair? So Cain was very angry and fell, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I come so often to this passage and think that Cain got a bad rap. Why is it that he brings his fruit to the Lord when his brother brings an animal, it's seen as good? I don't think that's the point of the story. See, what's happened already is that Adam and Eve were in the presence of the Lord, and they were removed from the Garden of Eden, right? And now, their descendants, their sons, are out, and they are sacrificing to God. Why? 
because God is teaching them to make sacrifices to him. God is actively speaking to Adam and Eve's descendants outside of the garden. Wasn't that the priority of being in the garden is to be relationally close to the father? And now they're, they're outside and Cain is talking directly to his creator, his God. We often think too heavily on what Cain is doing. And so he's teaching them to, to practice sacrifice, to come before him. And he's, what he's doing is he's, he's laying out a pathway for Cain to come to him, for Cain to experience a relationship with him. That's what he means when he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Don't you know my character that, that I want to draw you into my presence, to be near to you? But Cain refuses to let go of the bitterness and resentment towards his brother and therefore can't make a proper sacrifice unto the Lord. So God, from the very beginning, has always acted as a priest toward mankind in order to create a pathway towards him. Abraham builds altars and makes sacrifices. So do the other two patriarchs. Moses does it. And then as they leave captivity, what's the first thing that happens? He, teach them, he teaches them laws about him, about how to walk with him. And then he says, this is how I want you to dress the priests who work before me in my presence. That's the end of Exodus. What happens in chapter one of Leviticus? Chapter one of Leviticus says this, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. So the words there are, Moses is outside the tent and the Lord is inside the tent and they're communicating, but there's a separation between them. Then you jump a book. You go to Numbers chapter 1. What does that say? The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. God has closed the distance between the tent of meeting and Moses being outside. Now he's in the tent of meeting, communing with the living God. What happened in between Leviticus 1 and Numbers 1? Some of the most boring scriptures ever. That's what you would say. God taught the nation of Israel how to live with him in his presence, saying, you need to know what five different sacrifices are, five different offerings. There's the burnt offering, the sin offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, and the guilt offering. And the priest had to know what all those were and how to administer them to anyone that came to them. So this is how I imagine what it was like to be a priest. How many of you have gotten an oil change in Homer? First time uh, we drove up the Alcan, that was about 5,000 miles. And after 5,000 miles, you're supposed to do what with your car? Get an oil change. For all of you that didn't know, especially young drivers, that's what you do. 5,000 miles, you get an oil change. So we drive in a Homer, and I call up just a random mechanic and say, I need an oil change. And what do they say? <laughs> I don't think it's quite that much. It's not quite $400 now. That'll be three weeks. I'll see you on the, on the 29th. And you th I, I thought to myself, 
anywhere else in the, in the known world, you drive up to a mechanic and say, I need an oil change. They say, it'll be about 30 minutes. Right? Now, listen, I'm not picking on mechanics. I'm just saying it just took a little bit to get used to. I still need them to change my oil. This is how I imagine what it was like to be a priest. Say that you uh, uh, are experienced with a priesthood in the Old Testament. Say that your, your relative passed away and you had, to, you had to touch their body. As soon as you touched their body and under the Old Testament law, you were unclean. And so you call up the priest and you say, hey, I, I have, um, I touched a dead body. I need, a, I need a, to make a sacrifice. And he says, okay, uh, you'll need one bull and you can bring it around to the corral on the 29th, either the night before or you can meet me in the morning of and, and we'll get you taken care of. And so he waits three weeks, brings his bull in, brings him into the inspection bay, and they, they take him in and they, they have this whole inspection from nose to tail, right? Uh, and they're checking everything in between, every hair, every lump. They got to make sure this thing is clean, spotless, unblemished. And comes back out and he says, okay, but it's, it's been a little while since you were here, so not only are you going to need a burnt offering, but you also need a grain offering, a peace offering, and a sin offering as well. So that's going to cost you uh, two bulls, a goat, and two turtle doves. And you go, I don't have that. You know? This guy is telling me exactly what I need to, to come before the Lord and, and offer before him. But here's the limitation of the Old Testament priests. The Old Testament priests are inviting people to the altar, and that's as far as they get. Old Testament priests bring you into the altar, you lay your hands on this sacrifice while they cut its veins, bleed it out right there in front of you as you're touching it, and then dissect it, put it on the altar, depending on which sacrifice you're doing, and then you're good to go. But that's, that's as close as you get relationally to the Lord, physically to the Lord. It's not only that. Every time you touch a dead person or, or you think uh, or you, you do something with your hands, you need to now call up the mechanic and say, hey, I need some work done. Can, can you fit me in? He says, okay, make sure you, make sure you bring another animal. So just repeated sacrifice over and over and over again. And what the, what the Old Testament law, if you just read it for what it is, it's, it's external actions that they're trying to take care of. You touched something. You did this. You, you didn't take this action. Now we have to address that before you come to the Lord, before you can be clean. The Old Testament uh, priests are limited in how they can advocate how they can atone and how they can assure you, just stop doing those things. But then Jesus comes along and he shows us what it's like to be a priest on another level. But Jesus isn't the priest at the altar or in the tent of meeting. He's actually wandering around with 12 yahoos. Just out, he actually, there's, there's no text where he's hanging out making sacrifices at the altar. He has a different mission in mind, and yet he is doing exactly what the priests were. The first way that he does this is uh, what Paul says is uh, Colossians 1, 15 and 19. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And what Paul is saying there is, here you have God with us, Emmanuel, standing, not just in the tent far away, he's actually walking around with us. What's he doing? He's out there proclaiming the goodness of God, making an invitation for you to come to him. Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. This is an example of what Jesus is focused on as a priest. The text says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Why does he use those words? Clean. Why not heal? Can you get rid of these spots on my flesh? He wants to be clean. What's Jesus' reaction? Jesus stretches out his hands and touches the man. When's the last time that a man with leprosy was touched? It's probably been a while. He says, I will be clean to the man. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded you for a proof to them. Jesus is saying, hey, can you go show the priest what real priesthood looks like? He's caring for the man. But most of all, what he's doing is he's, he's getting rid of the barrier. This thing that makes you unclean, I want to absolve you of that so that you can draw closer to me. But he's not in the business of slaughtering animals. He's focused on what's happening inside our hearts. Remember the text in the Sermon on the Mount? He says it on repeat. You've heard it said that if you commit adultery, you're unclean. But I'm telling you that it's what's happening in your heart that makes you unclean. I'll give you another example. The rich young ruler, Luke 18. And he was setting out, and as he was setting out on his journey, Jesus, a man, ran up and knelt before him. Same thing as the guy with leprosy. He said to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not... Do not defraud, honor your father and mother. All external actions. And the rich young man says, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. I've been been perfectly clean before you. And Jesus says to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. 
It's the invitation of the priest. Come follow me. Where is Jesus headed? Into the presence of the Lord. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. A leprous man being healed and made clean, knowing that he's sinful, comes to the Lord, is touched by the Lord, and then draws closer to his presence. The guy who thinks he's got it all together says, not, I can't, I can't make that sacrifice. Just like Cain says, I can't make that sacrifice. Give up the thing that I treasure the most. And in it, what happens for both Cain and the rich young ruler is it exposes their hearts. So Jesus, in his earthly ministry, takes advocating from uh, being at the altar to physically being present with sinners. He takes the owner, uh, the atoning from multiple sacrifices over and over again to focusing on forgiveness and repentance and having faith and trust in the Lord. And then he assures us as he walks with us, not by stop doing those things, but hey, let's address what's happening inside of you. He empathizes with us in weakness because he too put on flesh. As if that wasn't good enough, God gives us more. He becomes an eternal, indestructible priest. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks down at a crowd and one of them shouts up, if you really are the Christ, you'll save yourself. Jesus' response is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He gives up his spirit and he makes a stop. Where does he go? Straight to the temple and tears the curtain wide open. I'm not I'm kind of taking some liberal liberality there, but that's what happened. He dies. The curtain is torn. He's resurrected. And then he sits down at the right hand of the Father. The writer of Hebrews has a lot to say about this high priest and what he achieves for us. Hebrews 7.16 says, He who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. (laughs) This priest cannot be killed. He's not a priest because he's the great-great-grandson of Aaron. He's a priest because he's the son of God come to give his life. Hebrews goes on, chapter chapter 7, 22 through 28, he says, This makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant. Far greater than the Old Testament could ever promise. The former priests were many in number, 
because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds the office permanently. He cannot be stopped from being our priest, from creating a pathway from where we are in our sin to the presence of the living God. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is sitting on the throne next to his father. And what is his focus on? You. His eyes are on you. And his words are, come to me. His words are invitational for you to know him, to love him, and to be clean forever. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest. But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. He's sitting in this position fighting for you each and every day. When I was in college, my freshman year, I went to this small university, um, didn't know anybody there. There were four rooms in my dorm, on my hall, and across the hall from me was a guy who was, I think he was like two years older than me, uh, but he had been kicked out of Clemson for selling oregano. And I think you have to sell a lot of oregano to get kicked out of college. But the reason that he got accepted to um, this college is because the library at this college had his name on it, which was his dad's name. And one of the consequences from him uh, going through this is that he didn't have a car. So of course, he asked me to drive him wherever he went. And uh, you know, if, you're, if your dad has his name on the library, that means you, you have something to offer a university, which I think is money. <clears throat> and uh, so he gets me to drive him around. He's like, hey, let's go visit my grandmother's house. Okay. I mean, I like going to my grandmother's house too. But his grandmother's house was a little bit different than mine. Uh, we pulled up to his and there's this iron gate at the front. So you drive in and it's just mansion, just, 
huge white brick house. We pull around to the back, and I see this whole other house behind the mansion, which was his grandmother's dollhouse. No, no kidding. It is very creepy. Two-story house. We walk in there, and there's nothing but ceramic dolls. And you're like, what is going on here? So then we go into the house, and we went multiple times. Um, go into the house, go into the kitchen, uh, and there's an elevator in the kitchen. Man, this is not even something of a different level. We're in a different stratosphere of wealth here. And then they had a butler come in, and the butler made us sandwiches. And then he gave me a tour of the whole house, and I'm like, Dude, I don't, this is, this should be on cribs or something, you know? You guys are, this is nuts. There's only one way that this poor southern boy got into that mansion and saw any of that. It's because of the sun. It's because of my proximity to the sun that I was able to go into this place. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying he wants for you, is to draw close to him so that he can cover you in his righteousness, so that when you walk into the presence of the Lord, he sees you, he sees Jesus over you. So how does this eternal priest compare to the Old Testament priest? The Old Testament priests are advocating from the altar saying, hey, come make a sacrifice. Do it again and again and again. But you never come into the presence of the Lord. And yet Jesus is advocating you to, for you from the throne room. Right next to the Father, whispering in his ear, that one, that one, that one, cover them. The sacrifice that I made. It's not an atonement that requires repeated sacrifice. It's one sacrifice made by a perfect, indestructible priest. And he's not dealing with your external actions, trying to get you to stop doing the things. The eternal priest defeated the power of sin and has brought you into new life those who say yes, for those who look on the cross and say, no, I, I understand why you didn't become a king here because I needed desperately for you to be my priest, to make a pathway between me and my sin, my wretchedness, and the holy glory in which you now sit on the throne. That's the invitation. There is no greater invitation made by anyone on this planet. No greater words can be spoken than for you to be covered in his blood, redeemed and made clean. So that when the Father lays eyes on you, he says, look at my son. I'm so pleased with you. Did you guys stand?
prayer team will be in the back. There's communion, offering. I'm going to pray and then we're going to raise our voices. Thankful for a priest who intercedes for us. Father, if there are people in here who have, like Cain, like the rich young man thought, this is going to cost me too much to give everything, I pray that you would whisper to them this morning, that you would speak to their hearts. That you would, by your spirit, empower them to kneel before you, to say, yes, I am unclean, and I trust you to make, you, make me clean. Father, would you continue to draw them near, and for the, for the people who have said a thousand times, you. Put my faith in you. I ask that you would grow that yes. You would grow our faith. more eagerly desire your presence, your holiness. How would you continue to draw us near, eradicating every barrier that keeps us from you, trusting in your perfect sacrifice, your indestructible life, in Jesus' name. Is he your only defense? And is he the sum total of your righteousness? First John 2, my little children, that's you. I am writing these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He himself is the propitiation, the sacrifice, the forgiveness for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Some of you right now, because you don't understand the, the complete nature of the work of Christ as our high priest, some of you right now are looking at this mound of junk, the sin in your life, and in your imagination, Christ is on the other side of that, waiting graciously for you to figure out how to get to him. Do you understand that union with Christ is not the end goal of the Christian life? It's the beginning of the Christian life. You have the perfect righteousness of Christ applied to you because of the work of Jesus on the cross. For those who have said yes in faith, 
And as a result, we have an advocate standing at our side, Jesus Christ the righteous, enabling and empowering us to overcome sin. What a gift. Amen? Amen. If you have not yet said yes to him, today could be your day. Today could be the day that you receive that gift. And it looks like this. When you, arriving at the end of your capacity, come before him on your knees and say, I don't want that and that I have nothing to bring. Would you, by your grace, because of your great mercy and forgiveness, cleanse me of all unrighteousness? I trust in you. The scripture says that when you do that, all of heaven rejoices. God's been so good to me. Hey, we don't officially end until 1230. So if you leave before then, you're quitting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't officially until 1230. It's a huge blessing to our team if you stick around and help us uh, tear down. It's always a big benefit to them. Uh, we have house churches happening for many of you uh, today or this evening. If you don't know where your next meal is coming from and you want some help, come and find anyone on our team and we'll help you this morning right now. Otherwise, God bless you. May his peace be upon you this week.